This is Belonging, a podcast that explores being alive in the age of loneliness. I'm your host, Becca Piastrelli, a writer, mother, and community tender currently living on the ancestral lands of the Coast Miwok people in present-day Marin County, California. In this show, we explore topics like rites of passage, cultivating meaningful community, seasonal and cyclical living, and what it means to be a good ancestor in these times. I have thought-provoking conversations with friends, teachers, elders, and ancestral medicine keepers to help support you in bringing more meaning and connection to your life. I also pop in here and there to share updates and learnings from my own story, because we were meant to do this together, cosmically holding hands as we walk the spiral of life. You can expect to be challenged by new or old ideas, face your beliefs and what systems informed them, get curious and brave to tell the truth about the deeper, harder things, and feel comforted in the knowing that you don't have to navigate it all alone. Hello and welcome back to the Belonging Podcast. It's Becca Piastrelli coming back to you after a little summer's rest, although it was not rest. <laughs> I actually had kind of a powerful realization about, as someone who talks about seasonal and cyclical living, I think there was a way in which I saw summer balancing winter in an energetic way of being about slowness and rest. And um, if it didn't feel that way, then I was doing something wrong. And it was like a niggly little sneaky little um, thought that wasn't fully running my life. Um, But this summer, I realized I was saying to people like summer slowdown, be like a lion napping in the sun in the afternoon, siesta, like summer chill. And I still have goals, hashtag goals for that. But I realized this whole summer has felt very full for me personally, in my family, activities with Atlas. Um, the garden is just like constantly asking me to come into it and, and tend to it and harvest and pests and, and chickens and Not to mention, uh, I took some time away from the podcast and from writing newsletters, but actually I've had a lot of creative surge move through me for the first time in a long time as I am actively in my recovery. P.S. Thank you for the massive outreach for my last episode where I talked about lessons from delayed postpartum depression and anxiety and mostly rage. Thank you so much for all your outreach. So Uh, if you've listened to that, you know, like I'm just doing so much better. So I think about internal seasons, right? I've exited my internal winter and it's like, am I in internal spring of planting? It kind of feels like I'm in my own internal summer of just like ripening fruit on the vine. And it has been not slow living. And as someone who talks about slowing down, I've been curious about my own experience of feeling like a little bit of lowercase s shame around being busy in the summer. And now that we're sort of at the wind down time of summer here in the Northern Hemisphere, although in the San Francisco Bay Area, 
the heat really moves us right on through to October. But there is like a waning feeling in the plants of a drying really happens here on the land, a real drying. And that feels like we're moving towards like the end of the life cycle for many of the plants. I have been in reflection, how natural to feel reflective of the last couple months and reframing how I see and judge slow living to be. And that actually I had a little judgment or assumption, and we know what happens when we assume, uh, that in order for me to be like a good a good girl, I had to move slow and not honor the fact that my summer seasonal energy, this go around the sun, was a bit more fast paced and heat. There was a movement of heat. There was a sense of overwhelm easily had. And so what I invited myself into was a dance with the fullness of summer, a dance with the busyness of summer and knowing when too much was too much, knowing when enough was enough, knowing when I needed literal cooling down with hibiscus sun teas or actual ice water or laying down, getting that afternoon nap, or when that wasn't available, just breath and moving slow. And so I'm, I'm, I'm teaching what I need to learn. I'm learning what I need to teach really seeing how the dance of seasonal cyclical living is knowing when it feels good to move quicker, when it feels good to be a busy bee or a a busy little squirrel storing their nuts for winter. And when it is time to say, "Mm," you know, when I'm bleeding, when I'm have a headache, when I didn't sleep well the night before, when I'm needing resourcing from rest. So just trying to be real over here and let you know how that, how this summer, this season feels to me and not, um, just share with you out of the book of seasonal living and actually be embodying it. So on the theme of squirrels gathering their nuts and bringing in the harvest and this, this energy of fall, at least up here in the Northern hemisphere, I know we've got the blooming of spring happening for our Southern hemisphere folks. I know we've got bunch of listeners down there. So, or around there, depends how you see things. (laughs) Um, there is an energy of movement. There is an energy for me, um, of wanting to come back out here and share. And so what I am doing is sharing passage craft, my workshop on reclaiming meaningful moments in your life and crafting ritual you crave to honor them. I'm doing it again on Sunday, September 18th in the afternoon here in the United States, 12 to 2 p.m. Pacific California time, because I did it in June and I was asked to do it again. And there was quite a little wait list. So I'm feeling called in these beginning of the waning autumn times up here in the Northern Hemisphere to offer that again. So you can go to passagecraft.com or you can go to my website Uh, or click on the link in my bio if you're an Instagram person, or head to the show notes of this episode where we'll promote it there. What it really is about is bringing emotional and sacred tending to transitions we've gone through in our lives that it didn't feel like they received enough honoring. So there'll be journaling, reflection, sharing, 
There'll be planning with worksheets so that you can design your own personal ritual or self-ceremony to bring the much-needed honoring to the life moments you wished had felt more sacred and seen at the time. And what are these life moments? Well, I've done it twice now, and people have brought everything from honoring a divorce to a parent's divorce when they were a child to the ending of a career to the birth of a child. And it's not just limited to things you've gone through that didn't receive the ritual or rite of passage it deserved and needed. Also, folks are bringing in things they are currently moving through, feeling like they're in the liminal and wanting to cross the threshold. So this is a space we come into. It's virtual over Zoom. We do our best to make it feel sacred and cozy and intended to, and we design it together. And we share with each other because so many of us are just experiencing these things and talking to each other on the internet with our thumbs. And this is a way to have that somatic connection, a way to co-regulate together and craft ritual together and be in ritual. So check out passagecraft.com to learn more and maybe join us. Today's episode is an interview with a teacher of mine and now friend, Marisha Mirnowska, otherwise known as the director and herbalist of the School of the Sacred Wild, which is enrolling. There's a reason why we're talking about it now, and that's because as an alumni, I don't get a kickback, but I do think this is a great herbal program for folks who maybe can't work in person with an herbal teacher. It's a nine-month-long program. You can learn about it uh, at schoolofthesacredwild.com. But Marisha is a teacher, author, earth activist, green witch, folk herbalist, and healer rooted in the wise woman tradition of healing. She has spent her life traveling, learning, and sharing different regenerative ways of tending to the earth, healing land, and healing people. And she's the director of the School of the Sacred Wild and author of The Witch's Herbal Apothecary. And what are we talking about today? Uh, Besides her amazing school and herbal program is crystals. So this is something I've been contending with for quite a while, which is an understanding that crystals or stones are a non-renewable resource that are mined, extracted from the earth. Uh, And I had a teacher once share that um, these are the bones of the earth. And I know a lot of us think about oil as being like the blood of the earth and something that we're extracting to you know, power our way of life. And a lot of us don't have a lot of choice in that matter, but that it's, you know, that it's not easy to make (laughs) takes thousands of years and we're depleting the earth of it. And so a lot of us in this community that I would call spiritual and earth connected have connection to stones. So this is an exploration Marsh and I are going through. This is not your bad. If you have stones or crystals in your life, but rather an invitation to look more deeply at what they are providing for you and how and what you really need beneath that. Like, what is it you really need and are getting receiving from stones and how could it maybe be gotten in other ways? And maybe considering returning the stones to the earth. So together we have a conversation, particularly about how to be with our stones how the mining industry harms the planet, how to make gem essences, and why rituals for embodied earth healing are always available to us. 
uh, I really am totally pumped up. I really am totally pumped up. Uh, interesting way to say that, but I am, I really want to talk about this. I want us all to talk about this because I mean, I'm looking right now at this beautiful smoky quartz on my desk and it's been harder and harder for me to have it, to covet it as I deepen into this conversation. And that's what I want for all of us is to be in the nuance and be with our emotions and sit with these feelings and these beliefs and um, be willing to consider shifting them out of our deep love and care for this one earth, this one glorious, gorgeous, beloved earth we live on. Uh, so I invite you to engage in the conversation in any way that feels good. As always, show notes are at belongingpodcast.com or com slash podcast. And here's my conversation with Marisha Mirnowska. Okay. Hi, Marisha Mirnowska. Hello. Hello. <laughs> Thank you for being here with me. You are one of my teachers. So I feel very honored that you're here with me today. I was an apprentice year one in the School of the Sacred Wild last year. So I could continue my journey uh, with the wild, with plants, help integrate everything I learned for years in books and actually integrate it into my body and being. And it was such a beautiful year with you. Um, and I'm so honored you're here to talk with me more about a specific topic I'm curious about. Uh, but I just want to welcome you here in this space and wondering if you can share a bit. This is not tell me about yourself, but this is how did you find the wild? How did you find a familiarity or how did you come home to the wild? Anything that feels true to share? Mm, that's a beautiful question. Um, hi, Becca. I'm happy to be here too. And, and so glad that we got to share the journey together of the apprenticeship and, and be with the plants. And I'm honored to be here and happy to be with everybody that's tuning in. So um, how did I find or reconnect to the wild? I feel like I've always been connected to the wild and I feel like we all are. And I feel like when we look at children, we can see that like throbbing pulse of life and vitality and, and engagement with life and the embodiment with the senses. And, and to me, that is a, a strong aspect of, of the presence of the wild. It's the part of us that is not stuck in the head, but that is embodied and curious about our environment and, and wanting to connect. You know, even the way that, that toddlers, I, I think you have a little one, put, put like soil in their mm -hmm. mouth or everything in their mouth. It's like that whole phase is part of this, this, um, getting to know our, our world and, and wanting to take it in and, and knowing that the way that we learn about our world is through our body, through, through connection. So I feel like we're, we, we all are always connected to the wild and, and, and the wild is in us and, and we are made of the wild. And then yes, we forget, <laughs> especially those of us, you know, living modern lives. And, and I do feel like there is a, you know, an epidemic, I would say, of, of, um, our modern world pulling us out of that embodied connection to the earth and to ourselves and to spirit. Um, and it tends to be, I feel 
like a pulling out into the head and into, into this kind of non-existent artificial, um, electronic realm of high speed internet and, and multiple conversations at the same time. And, you know, we aren't made to process that much and to know about everything happening everywhere at the same time or to have 10 windows open with 10 different conversations. So I have a practice of returning to the wild and that's what keeps me healthy. And a huge part of that practice is simplifying my mind and coming back to my body and connecting with the earth. Yes, yes, yes. You introduced me to this term earth pace mm. in, um, in the school of the sacred wild. And I've been using it ever since I've been looking at my toddler. Atlas is almost two. And I'm like, Oh, she operates at an earth pace. She still doesn't know what time it is on a clock. She just operates by circadian rhythms, her body, her emotions, her needs. And mm. she moves slower. Everything, it goes slower. And so that helps remind me that that is our innate way. Mm. And so that feels, I just love that you brought that up um, with the toddlers, <laughs> with the children, because it's like, yeah. yes, it, it never left us. We just forget and remember. Yeah. And, you know, we're kind of trained <laughs> by modern life around like, what is success? How are we supposed to perform? What speed is it correct for us to go at? How quickly should we think? You know, these are all ways that we are molded and trained um, into something that that um, often takes us out of our true nature and, and out of our reverence for that natural pace. I mean, I love that you're speaking to the awareness that you've come into of like, Oh, this is special. She's actually a teacher. She's actually showing me the embodiment of the earth pace. Um, and I think it's really common. I know that I've been guilty of it as a mom at times too, to be like, hurry up, come on, you know, so to have the reverence yeah. and the understanding. <laughs> yeah, it's beautiful. So one of the things I talk about, uh, in my work, when people ask me about like how to connect more with the earth, how to feel more belonging with the wild, like how to rewild yourself. I always sort of root it in the fact that I grew up in suburban California on like Taco Bell, Mac and cheese, Nickelodeon. Like I didn't have the crinkly eyed grandmother who taught me how to pick nettles. And then I heard an interview with you where you said, I had the crinkly eyed grandmother <laughs> who taught me how to pick nettles in Poland. And I just thought, how lucky. And I'm wondering if, I mean, that's just such a dream of mine. And maybe I am the, the crinkly-eyed grandmother who will show, you know, a descendant of mine how to pick nettles. Maybe that's what resonates Definitely. with me, but I'd love to hear your story there. Yeah, it's it's funny you say that. Yes, um, my one of my earliest childhood memories is my great-grandmother showing me how to how to pick nettles without being stung. The part that wasn't this like total fantasy, beautiful thing is it was like through the cracks of concrete in, you know, in, in Warsaw. But it is a, a beautiful thing that I feel such incredible privilege and, and joy around is, is having come from a lineage of people who still remembered just folk medicine and folk healing 
And what's beautiful, and I think that you've experienced this probably yourself as well, is that we don't have to go that far back to realize like, oh, it was maybe just only two generations ago or three generations ago where our grandmothers and grandfathers knew how to heal themselves with just common herbs, chamomile, mint, you know, these aren't fancy things. Yeah. So it's, it's very much there. <laughs> we all have that crinkly eyed grandmother. Maybe it just skipped a generation. <laughs> oh yeah. I just wish I met her, you know, in that way. It's, there's something I really yearn for elders. Um, yeah. I had just, I had wonderful grandparents and, and they supported me in so many ways. And there's a way in which I, I yearn for like the elders of the old ways of ways that were much more connected to seasonal cyclical living felt familiarity with plants and, and a familiarity with, with all that is of us and what we're from. Um, and that just is a grief, you know, that's a grief of our time and also propels me in this work that I do that we do. I mean, I love that you're speaking to that because I, I feel like that is, um, so, true. And, and it's a collective grief. Um, one of the things that has been so powerful for me is going to the plants as our elders and realizing that they really are our oldest ancestors. You know, we, we are here on the planet because of the, of the, of the green plant kingdom. And, and so they hold wisdom and memory and teachings that, um, you know, is, is just actually much more vast than any human being can hold. So the practice that, you know, we explore in, in the school of the sacred wild of plant spirit meditations of becoming kin and friends and, and inviting these plants as our allies, learning their language, it allows us to, to have these transmissions and, and to receive this medicine that, is like an elder speaking. I've also found that, you know, for me, one of my great allies is the tree Linden. I love Linden. And for me, she's like the embodiment of the most loving grandmother. And I have seen at this point, I think hundreds of people who have been healed by receiving that kind of love from the non-human and it's made me realize that, you know, as human beings, I think we put so much pressure on our human relationships and we're like, well, I want to be loved in this way and, and I want to be mothered in this way and I want to be nurtured in this way, which is all legit. But then to recognize like, oh, no one human can give me that or, you know, it's, it's just unrealistic. And, and to be able to learn how to receive that kind of love from the non-human, from the earth, and from the elders that are our plants is is so deeply healing and completely life-changing. Mm, yes. Beautiful. Oh, I remember the day I had my first linden infusion with you in our ceremony, and I it was oh. like honey. It was like honey. And I was like, oh, it just felt so relieving. And I love the way you yeah. talk about kinship with the plants, with the earth, it's an animist view, right? It's seeing an aliveness in all that is around us. And it's, it's very opposite of the Western mindset, the Western mindset. Um, and those are the words I'm using. Uh, I, I 
learned from one of my teachers, um, Liz Milliarelli, the work of Apela Colorado of an, uh, indigenous science and the difference between the Western mind and the indigenous mind. And so I apply that frame a lot to um, the ways in which I am in this work and, you know, hearing you talk about Lyndon being a grandmother and a part of me going like, that's ridiculous. That's so ridiculous. And being like, oh, okay, hold on. That's like my colonized Western mind that thinks a tree is dead and is is for beauty just for me. And I can move it or I can cut it down or I can be somewhere else. And the indigenous mind is here and has always been here is also in me that knows that Lyndon is kin, is, yeah. is um, family. Yeah. And I, I mean, again, that's why I love the plant spirit meditations that we do together because it just simplifies everything to just the experience of the present moment and of inviting in a spirit and an energy that is not our own, that is not human. And then opening the heart and just really noticing how does it make me feel? Where is it going in my body? You know, what is arising in this, in this meditation? Is there a message? Is there a feeling? And it's, it's just such a beautiful thing too, because I think like speaking to this indigenous and Western mind, a lot of Western people are like, well, okay, maybe I can imagine that an indigenous person can hear the language of the plants, but I certainly, how could I do that? And then when we do it, we're like, oh no, we're all made of the earth. We're all made of the same elements of earth, air, water, fire that the plants are made of. So of course, once we actually enter that language, we recognize that like the fire of ginger, right? I mean, that's such a classic example, ginger and garlic, such fiery plants. When we take them in, our fire is activated, right? Or when we drink chamomile or, or linden, there's this soothing, calming property. And, and that's kind of just something that we notice without even having to put a lot of intention or um, meditation around it. But then when we actually call in the spirits of the plants, we, we get to experience them in our bodies and um, it's profound. It's so profound and it's accessible to, to all of us. Yes. Even if that nettle grows through the concrete in Warsaw, it's still available to us and us to it. Yeah. That feels so beautiful. Okay. So on to the main event, which is taking this concept of being in relationship with plants and seeing that plants, okay, plants are made up of the same things that we're made up of. And then looking at other aspects of this gorgeous thing hurtling through space called earth. And that is stones, particularly crystals. This is an episode about crystals. And I asked Marisha on today because I have a dear, dear friend, best friend, also Atlas's spiritual godmother, Stephanie Berg, who did the year two apprenticeship with you and also went on retreat with you in Costa Rica and said that you led her and the retreat participants in a, a ceremony, a ritual of giving their crystals back to the earth. And I have had a teacher ask me to do that too. I've had a practice of burying crystals, but I also still covet my precious, beautiful, smoky quartz and amethyst. And, and I, I feel like, why? What am I doing there? And so I asked you want to talk about it from this place of seeing 
well that these are the bones of the earth. So I'd love to invite you in to wherever you want to begin around what you've learned and where you're at with all of that. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, you know, admittedly, when you invited me onto this podcast and asked me and said, this is really what I want to talk about, I was kind of like, oh, shoot, (laughs) this isn't something that I talk about much or something that I've really like intellectualized or have created a lot of beautiful language around. It's rather something that has come from, from an emotional place of wanting to repair, I feel, wanting to repair and wanting to give back that which was taken. And, you know, I, I look at this, this world that we're living in, this, this interconnected web of life that we're all participating in. And, um, I have tremendous grief around the extractive culture that we're all in and, and that we're, you know, very entangled in, very entangled in, you know, I, I don't know if in my lifetime I will be liberated from the extractive culture that I'm in. You know, this is, this is, we're deeply entangled in it. And I think it's important to recognize that because so often those of us who are empaths, and I imagine everybody who's listening to this is an empath, you know, we care about the earth um, we want to be, we want to do good. And it can be heartbreaking to feel like, you know, how do I do it? And, you know, within this, this system where it's kind of set up where it's very challenging to not participate in an extractive system. I mean, the fact that we're all driving cars, right? Where our houses, the, the, our whole life is, is run on petroleum, um, for the most part. You know, it's, it's, um, it's really, it's, it can be very challenging to face that. And at the same time, you know, I, I deeply love the work of Joanna Macy and she is an incredible elder and environmentalist and, um, and Buddhist. And her work has been instrumental in, in my life because she really brings us into being present with the feeling of grief and, and really not turning away from the pain and the heartbreak. And, and it's really through allowing ourselves to be with the grief and to see the, you know, the, the devastation that is happening on our planet and, and to not turn away, right? Like to give it actually the gift of, of our presence, of our witness, that something also alchemically happens in our heart that opens us and, and some, some form of genius that was buried inside of us maybe is like the crystal inside of our solar plexus that contains our unique gift in the world. I, I believe that that's actually how our gifts are also made more clear to us. And, and I deeply believe that in these times, we all have a part to play. We all have a unique gift. We have a unique signature and they're all needed for this great healing that is, that is needed and, and, you know, and that we're hopefully (laughs) a part of. And so a big part of that is bringing awareness. Like where am I unconsciously participating in this lie of capitalism and, and of what success looks like and what, how fast I should be moving and, and how I should be living and kind of getting a little more wild and actually asking ourselves, well, what is my nature telling me about what brings me joy? What activates my gifts? 
you know, where I can be of service and where I am enlivened by what I do in the world. And us being connected to our gifts is essential in our liberation from the extractive culture that we're in and us being present to the grief, I believe is also essential to these gifts being clear. And so it's really just through that, that I have felt sadness around the oil that is being taken from the earth. You know, some people say that, that the oil, right? This black gold that is fueling our cars is, is the bones of dinosaurs. I mean, how wild is that? And, and I actually looked that up and it turns out it's not even the bones of dinosaurs. It's, it's like the minerals that came, that were alive before dinosaurs. I mean, this is like the ancient compost of marine life on the planet that is in the heart of the body of the earth. That is the blood, you know, that, that is, in there for a reason, I have to believe. And, and so what happens, you know, when we are extracting these resources from the earth and crystals are, are that as well. Crystals, they are a non-renewable resource. There, there are a finite amount of crystals on this earth. So, you know, when we open our hearts to that, then, then we suddenly start to recognize like, oh my gosh, my crystal, it has a home. It has a place of belonging and it's been taken from its home. And, you know, I'm not an expert on crystals at all. And, and I don't know what the spiritual energetic purpose is of crystals on the planet, but I know that there is no greater and wiser alchemist, healer, or designer than the earth. And so I deeply trust that if crystals are buried in the earth, they're there for a reason. Yes. Thank you for all of your words there. I I think that's a good starting place for folks who are crystal owning, uh, crystal coveting. And I'm going to say I'm one of those people Right. And I, I, I think it's important to not get into this like cancel culture place of like what's bad and what's good. Um, because mm-hmm. then we don't have a deeper like come from what you're, what you're bringing in here is like, well, if we're trying to look at the unconscious ways we are extracting and being extracted, then here's one to look at. And so. I read this, uh, there's a wonderful herbalist named Dory Midnight who has a blog post, um, that I can share in the show notes called Stone Rematriation, mm. uh, that I read years ago that sort of brings, brings this about. And I can share that in the show notes and it's talking about maybe instead not buying new stones. Cause I know some of you think you're like, okay, hey, what am I supposed to do? It's like, maybe not buy new stones and just love the ones you have or a uh, stone essences instead, or a stone lending library, um, or give them back to the earth, which is what you did. And, and so, but one of the things she brings up, or they, I'm not sure actually of their pronouns, um, bring up in this blog post is the crystal mining industry. Yeah. It's a very murky, murky, undocumented, 
operation worldwide. Yeah. Much of it done illegally, some of it done with child labor. And it's not like when you and I go to the metaphysical shop and we say, is this an ethically um, mined quartz? The shop owner can know. Yeah. And so I remember a few years back, I had read this, I had read this blog post by Dory and I went to, there's a, um, there's a crystal show that comes to the Bay Area every year. I know there's a big one in Tucson that even the other day, Tim was like, we should go. And I went up to some of these, some of these vendors, um, some of which like had a closer relationship to the point of mining, the point, like the home mm. of, of these stones. And I would ask them like some really intense questions, um, intense because it's like not pleasant always. Right. And I'm right. a people pleaser recovering. So I just took a deep breath and was like, what do you know about who mined these? What, what country is this from? What part of the country? Like, are you aware that there's, I had read about child labor and mining in Brazil. Like, do you know? And every single answer I got was either, oh, I'm sure it's fine. I trust my guys. I'm sure it's fine. Or the honest answer, which was, I have no idea. This stone probably changed hands 25 times before it got here. Like, and so that is something to bring in is like, is it possible to buy the most ethically sourced (laughs) eco crystal? I don't know. I don't know. So I'm sitting with this. I even the other day, even the other day, Tim was like, um, oh, I like really called to this one stone. And I was like, I just can't even be a part of this conversation, my love. Like, I don't know how to feel about this. Like, I understand that stones have these, these healing properties. I felt that. I've felt Mm -hmm. protected by, you know, like tourmaline and obsidian. I've felt the, just like the sweetness of a rose quartz. And this frame of, oh my gosh, the bones of the earth, which is something that just feels true and right for me and, and so ancient. Um, and that it's not renewable. It's not a nettle. It's not, it's not an oak. That shifts things for me. Yeah. I love that you spoke to that. And um, it's true that the mining industry is actually one of the most environmentally destructive operations on the planet. And and with mining comes deforestation, comes really severe water pollution. Um, wildlife habitat is taken away. There's also like entire mountaintop removal. And then, as you mentioned, the humanitarian impact of mining is huge. I mean, I remember learning about blood diamonds, right? About dime, the diamond mining industry, I think 20 years ago. And I remember thinking, wow, that is the most unromantic thing ever to give, to be like, I love you. Will you marry me? And to give a stone that has been uh, mined by a, a child slave, you know? And so it's, it, I think it's just so great to learn about these things. And, and it's just so important for us to, to just learn about it and to 
be so compassionate with ourselves and hold ourselves through the learning process because we are in a sick culture if that is what's happening and it's it's not your personal fault or my personal fault, right? And there is this opportunity for us to learn about what's happening and then make different choices. Like I have seen that in the cacao industry and that has been really empowering and a positive thing is, you know, I think 10 or 15 years ago, fair trade cacao was not that available, right? People didn't talk about the cacao industry, which is another industry that that um, uses child slave labor. Essentially, if you don't get organic fair trade cacao, you can just be certain that the chocolate, you know, comes from children who are enslaved. And yet in the last 10 years, that's become more, there's more awareness around it. And now, you know, every store you go into, there's always an option that's fair trade and organic and more people are becoming aware of this. So, you know, education, I feel is, is the strongest form of activism and, and is such an important way of bringing collective healing. And then through it, being just compassionate to ourselves and to others. Yeah. Thank you for bringing that in. I just had this image come in that like, I don't know, maybe several generations from now to have like a massive, like citrine in your entryway to your mansion is akin to like having ivory tusks, you know, that we see from like the colonial, like hunting time, you know, like maybe the culture is moving in that direction. May it be so. May it be so. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think that, you know, as we tune into how to move forward with our beloved crystals, um, I really love the the suggestion that Dory Midnight made in their blog post of making gem essences. We can make a gem essence very much in the same way that we would make a flower essence. And, and it's quite simple. It involves um, taking your stone and maybe you purify it before by putting it in the moonlight or sunlight or salt water. And then you put it in clean, clear spring water and you can let that crystal be in the water under the sun or under the moon and it captures the vibration of the crystal and then that water holds the vibration water is of course you know like a sponge it it just takes on the vibration of, of stones of plants of song of sound of places and so for those people who are really connected to their stones um, making a gem essence is a way that you can then work with that essence and take it internally or topically put it in the bath or in a spray. And then giving your stones back to the earth is like the, just one of the most beautiful acts of love. You know, I think for those of us who love our stones, it's so beautiful to be like, Oh my gosh, I have the ability to let you go home. And so to really take your time with that. Again, like allow ourselves to feel the grief, to feel the emotions, to, to make a ritual of it. You know, it's, it's not the act of putting a stone and burying it in the earth. It's, it's the act of being in prayer and in, and in an open-hearted place of reverence and, and gratitude and of offering prayers for the earth to return to her wholeness and for us to return to our wholeness. So um, we did do that in Costa Rica and it was beautiful. And, and it was actually something that everybody kind of did in their own time and in their own space. It wasn't like 
one large collective ritual. It was something that I brought in when we began. And, and so we had few days to be with our stones, to bring them to the waterfall, to, you know, to be with them, to be with the land and to just listen to our own hearts and our own guidance of which stones are ready to go back to the earth and, and which ones aren't maybe quite ready yet. Or which ones are we not quite ready to part with yet? Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. That was my question to you next, which was like, so what do we do with this information? I think, I think do your research and also sit with, sit with what you know to be true. Um, right. We're moving at an earth pace, even in this like repair work that we're in. I, um, what would you say? To those of us that if we like really checked in with ourselves, had a hard time with, with parting with or not purchasing beautiful stones, you know, because they, I, okay, because a reason could be they have been the deepest ally. They have felt so comforting. And I, I do see them as beings and I'm just like channeling what this person would say. I do see these as beings and they have been so helpful to me and I am, and I do give thanks to them. And I, and what would you say to someone like that? Who's like, I don't want to give that up. Mm, yeah. I mean, I think I would start by giving them a big hug. Cause I get it. I get it. And, um, and then, you know, I feel like the invitation is for us to go a little deeper and to ask ourselves, what is it that I need here? What is it that I am looking for? What is it that I'm hungry for and longing that, that I believe this crystal will give me? You know, is it a connection to the earth? Is it healing the vibration of the earth, right? So many people love to work with crystals because they hold the vibration of the earth. Well, if that's the case, you know, we can go outside and just sit down on the earth. One of my favorite practices is, is laying my body on, on the earth and specifically my belly and my heart and just laying on the dirt or on the soil or the grass. And, and every time I do that, I feel such a healing. There is so much energy that just flows off of my body and, you know, electromagnetic energy and, and, um, and stress that is released into the receptive earth. And then the vibration of the earth, which is this like deeply calming, but also energizing and awakening vibration, it enters my body. And so that's available to all of us all the time. And, and I feel like when we look at that, we realize like, oh, we are still operating from this perspective that like there's something really special that we might not have, or like it has to be rare in order for it to heal us. And that is part of this capitalist lie that, that keeps us always searching outside of ourselves. We're always getting tricked into buying the next thing that promises something. Whereas often the healing is so simple that it can be invisible, that it can be hard to notice. And, and it's almost always immensely accessible. Yeah. Wow. Thank you for bringing that in. This idea that it has to be rare. And then that, that creates this sort of coveting, this, 
lust, this desire to obtain, to own, to hoard. And that is, wow, that is this oppressive system working its way through us. And it's just not our innate way. Our innate way is abundance and reciprocity. And I, I forget and remember that all the time. And that is just the way of this, of the now times. And, um, I think reciprocity is also something that feels deeply important to me in these moments when I do feel that, uh, that urge to like hoard or, or hold to myself, um, my precious crystals, my, like my precious, whatever, my precious money, you know, my precious, everything it's mine, mine, mine. And like, what am I afraid of? And what am I not in deeper relationship with? And almost always the antidote to that feeling is a sense of reciprocity of, of being in relationship with, of giving and receiving, not in a transactional way, although sometimes it is presents that way, but it's, it's a sense of deep care that goes far beyond like my precious crystal on my desk. You know, it's deeper, it's more soothing to the nervous system. So that's what I try to keep in mind when those urges come up, which are very natural. Mm, yeah, that's beautiful. Something that is coming up as you share that is something that um, I heard a, a few years ago, and it really it struck me. And it's a it's a wisdom passed passed on from Martine Pricktel, who's an incredible author, storyteller, teacher, uh, Mayan shaman, and and he talks about how a gift should always hurt a little to give away, and that's when you know it's a gift. Otherwise, you're just kind of getting rid of something unloading some junk. And that I think like to go back to where you mentioned like the indigenous mind versus the Western mind, that's a great place for us to notice and observe how I think the Western mind, it's like we give a gift, you know, we're like, okay, I'll just give this and it's okay. You know, but I, but I'll keep this one to myself. But yeah, to use kind of your language, the indigenous mind is actually looking to feed the holy. And so we feed the holy by giving gifts and making offerings that, that actually are a little hard to give away. And that can be just a beautiful thing to lean into in the practice of, you know, of, of giving away crystals is just observing again, like, well, I can give these ones away. They've just been in my closet and, you know, and, and then like, well, then is it really a gift? Is it really a gift to the earth? And, and even if we do have some crystals that maybe we don't care so much about and we are ready to release, then, then we can create that ritual of, if you will, kind of, you know, to speak in the crystal language, raising their vibration by, by actually washing them, purifying them, giving gratitude, singing them a song, acknowledging them, and, and then giving them back to the earth. And I also believe that as we do that, like as we put crystals in the earth, the earth relaxes into receiving and, and there is a healing that she's receiving as well. Mm, I'm so grateful for your words here. Wow. I really needed to hear that. I definitely have like the crystals in the back of the <laughs> sacred altar shelf that are just like not receiving love and Right. That's just not going to toss them in the lake bed, but I'm just going to like, yeah, give gratitude. Of course. Of course. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So we're coming to the end of our 
of our time together. And I'm wondering if there's anything more you'd like to share for folks listening who might be feeling a little shame. And also that on the other side of that shame is like a longing, a yearning for like the way of life that they probably perceive you and I living. Um, I just talked to so many people who are just like, that's over there. Like here I am drinking my Starbucks, driving my kid to school in suburbia. Like I, uh, with my crystals on my shelf and, and uh, that just feels so far away. Like what can you share with them to bring them closer to this way of life that is truly, I believe available and within all of us. Two things. I think the first is just entering a state of kindness And when we are in a state of kindness towards ourselves, then we enter that same state of living in reciprocity and living in kindness with, with the earth and, you know, with the people that you run into when you're driving in Starbucks or, you know, or at the school pickup. So it it is so accessible. It's, it's, it's not outside of us. And it's just the way that I think it's kindness, kindness and compassion are what allow us to bring that medicine into our everyday and into our relationships. And the other thing is, you know, something I was thinking about in preparation for this conversation and just kind of, I was meditating on this. I was like, yeah, asking myself and and asking spirit, like, what is the root of the root of the root, right? Of this, of this relationship that we have with crystals and this desire for them and, and the challenge of giving them away and, and all of this. And what really was coming through was that we all need to learn how to receive that as human beings, the, the cause, I think, of some of our destructive behavior, even if it's unconscious, comes from a place of not knowing how to deeply relax into receiving the love and the healing energy from the earth. And, and because we don't really know how to receive from the earth, we are kind of these little wound up balls of tightness. And then in that we have anxieties and, and we want more because, because we're just not receiving. And so there's always this feeling of not enoughness, that we are not enough, that we can't have enough, that we can't get enough, that there's, you know, this crystal or this other thing or this exotic herb, you know, and, and, I believe that perhaps at the root is an opportunity for us to learn how to deeply receive from the earth and from the elements. And the way that I think we can enter that is through just the most simple and mundane. It's like receiving connection to the earth, receiving nourishment from the earth means just spending time on the earth or outside with our toes in the grass or, you know, our feet on the sand. It means eating just food, maybe from a local farmer. It means looking at the trees around us, like actually spending time receiving, receiving the beauty of the living earth. I believe that that's actually probably one of the core, most healing things of, of the journey that that um, my apprentices and I experience year after year is through opening ourselves to the plants, 
we learn how to deeply receive from the earth. And we notice that like the earth is so generous. Oh my God. And the plants are so generous Hmm. and they want to nourish us. It's, it's a never ending stream of generosity. When we open to that, that is reciprocity. We open to deeply receive and then we are flooded by that vibration of generosity and of nourishment. And it just flows out of us to our family, to our children, to our loved ones, to our community, to the earth. So that kind of is, is perhaps what I've come to is, is at the root of this all is an opportunity for us to heal by learning how to more deeply receive from the earth and, and therefore experience and, and give back that generosity. Marisha, thank you so much for this sweet conversation. All that you shared, I feel deeply impacted by it and by your words. Shall we tell the good people where they can go to learn more about you and more about the School of the Sacred Wild Apprenticeship? Mm, Yeah, thank you. And thank you for, for this conversation as well. And thank you to everybody for listening. You can learn about the School of the Sacred Wild on our website, which is schoolofthesacredwild.com. And um, the apprenticeship starts on September 3rd, and it's a 10-month-long journey where each month we begin with an opening ceremony, and I guide you in plant spirit meditations. We drink these teas together, and we're learning how to learn directly from the plants and how to receive their healing through an embodied, very tantric-based practice. And Thus, we journey through 10 months together through the different seasons and the cycles of nature and are woven into these ever-renewing, self-regenerating currents through the plants, through our practices, through our time together. Um, and if the apprenticeship is going to be getting soon, it starts September 3rd, so we're closing registration at the end of August. And yeah, I just want to warmly invite anybody who feels the call to connect deeper to themselves and to the earth and to spirit. Beautiful. And the website for that is schoolofthesacredwild.com? Yes, that's right. Yeah. I will also say uh, you have a wonderful book called The Witch's Herbal Apothecary, Rituals and Recipes for a Year of Earth Magic and Sacred Medicine Making. Uh, It's a beautiful, wonderful book. Um, that also can be your guide during the apprenticeship. But if you're not quite ready for the apprenticeship, I highly recommend getting Marisha's book to get started on the path. Um, if this is feeling like ping, ping, ping in your body, like, okay, sounds good to me. Please, please. I've been there before, so I understand. Marisha, thank you again so much for joining me. Thank you. Thank you for having me. And thank you for creating this beautiful space for us to explore these deep questions of our times. Blessed be. Thank you so much for joining me. In a time when our attention is being pulled in so many different directions, it means a lot that you took time out of your day to spend it with me and in these important conversations. For show notes and links and more information about my guests, you can head to belongingpodcast.com. And if you'd like to hear more from me and get access to my free newsletter called Slow and Seasonal, you can head to beccapiastrelli.com slash subscribe. 